Revelation chapter 21. For context, let's begin in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now this verse 9 through the end of the chapter is our text this morning. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, not crystallite, I'll get it right here, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall be not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
but there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are, who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that you have uh, revealed this incredible picture. Lord, we can only try to imagine what it would be, what it'll be like, but we know, Lord, you've revealed it for very specific purposes. So we pray, Father, that you would accomplish those purposes in us this morning. We yield our hearts to you, Lord. Help us to have an eternal perspective, God. We thank you for the privilege of knowing what's coming, at least in part. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are right in the middle of the revelation of the new heaven and the new earth. The old earth and the old heaven have passed away. When the Lord Jesus was about to judge the unsaved dead in the last chapter, we were told the heavens and the earth fled away and there was no place found for them any longer. And we've talked about this, what that means, that the Lord was, uh, he stopped holding it all together. He's holding everything together by the word of his power, we're told in Scripture. So he just stops holding it together. He just lets it go. Second Peter chapter 3 reveals that the elements will dissolve. And the word dissolve in the original Greek means to loose, to let go. So he's letting go all the atoms. He's letting go what holds them together. And they crash into each other. And there's no more earth. And there's no more heaven. And you know the universe and all of that, it's gone at this point. So we've seen that. And as I mentioned last week, this was all foretold in the Old Testament, both Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, in addition to Psalm 102, talk about this new heaven and a new earth. So the Jewish mind, the Jew that would be reading the Old Testament, they would, they would have known that God was going to do this at one time. They, don't, they didn't have all the pieces they saw through a glass darkly, as 1 Corinthians 13 revealed. So they, they saw anyone that, you know, and we see through a glass darkly too right now because we can't fully see. Glass in that time was not crystal clear all the time. There, there was some of that, but most of it was, was the best would be like looking into brass or something and you would see a reflection, but it wasn't as crystal clear as it is today. So there were pictures. There were glimpses there were snippets so to speak in the old testament of what this would be like in the kingdom age the millennium that we've already covered so here he, you know we we see that now he's doing all of this you know in psalm 102 he gets very specific about this new heavens and the new earth i want to read verses 25 and 26 to you it says of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. So he said it. He said these things are going to wear out, and they're going to change. And so we also saw, in addition to all of that, we also saw the beginning of this whole new Jerusalem that we're going to really look at in detail this morning. And we start to see God speak about this new Jerusalem, And we saw what, this, what I really wanted to highlight last week was for us to see God's heart related to this new Jerusalem. This heart revealed 
in, 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 in him letting us know what is coming. And he revealed his heart in at least three ways. He revealed his heart, first of all, that this city was prepared as a bride, a, you know, prepares, and it's prepared and adorned, not just prepared, but adorned, outfitted, you know, made beautiful, uh, having attention to detail related to how beautiful it is and how and just all the specifics and so forth. God revealed his heart to us in that way because he knows that we're going to be inhabiting that new Jerusalem. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'll prepare a place for you. If I go away, I'll prepare a place for you. So he's been preparing a place for us that where he is there, we will also be. So he's beautifully and, and majestically and flawlessly prepared New Jerusalem for us. Just like any bride prepares for that day and they go through so much preparation. We talked about that. Nothing's out of place. Everything's perfect. Been preparing for weeks and months, maybe even years for that day. So too, God has prepared that New Jerusalem for us. But not only did he reveal his heart in that, but he also revealed his heart in the revelation of his physical closeness to us. Remember in verse 3, he said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He just, I mean, it's so hard to fully grasp his heart related to that. It's not just filler. It's not just something to put in and just a nice thing. He's really wanting us to know that he is looking forward to spending time with us physically to be in to for us to be in his presence and from to be him to be in the middle of all of us. And it's beautiful. It's like a father that wants all his children around and holding them all close all at once. I can't even think of a better picture for a parent that would that would be able to say this is the the most blessed time I could ever experience is having all my kids right around me and me hugging them and holding them and that's exactly the picture there of of God being with them he said the tabernacle of God or the dwelling place of God is with men and they will be his people and so forth it's a beautiful picture but not only those two things he also revealed his heart to us in saying that he's going to remove all that hurts us we saw that he was going to, he's going to wipe away every tear. That he's going to ensure there will be no more sorrow or mourning or crying nor pain. All, every, he's making all things new for us. Because he loves us. He's showing his heart for us. He cares for us. If he didn't care for us, he wouldn't do it. But he's very careful to let us know. He doesn't have to do that. He could have not revealed that right now and done that for us in the future. But he wants us to know right now that he's going to do that because we have pain and sorrow and all those things right now. And knowing that one day he's going to lovingly take those things away helps us to walk this pilgrimage, help to walk by faith in this life, knowing that all of this pain that we go through and the things that we suffer are mere temporary. And someday we're going to not have to deal with those things at all. We're never going to have to deal with those things. But also... We never have to worry about all the different kinds of ungodliness hurting us again. Because in verse 8, he itemizes all the specific sins which we will, that we'll never encounter again. All those things that he listed in verse 8, he listed them in part for us to know that all of the suffering that he just said is going to be wiped away, will not have the, will not, no one will have the capacity to do that to us because those people that hurt us in that sense won't be there. They won't be in heaven. 
So it's a beautiful expression. So much of his heart is revealed in those, in those first eight verses. And he's just getting started revealing his heart. I can't wait. Are you excited? I mean, I can't wait to see all about this, this new Jerusalem today and see what he has in store for us. God wants us to look forward to heaven. We're already citizens of heaven. We're told that in Ephesians. Our citizenship is in heaven. You have dual citizenship. Did you know that? You may not have known that. You have dual citizenship. You're a citizen of, of the United States, probably. Um, and, but you're also a citizen of heaven. And, and so we already have ownership, and, or, or it already is part of what he's blessed us with right now. Why did God tell us our citizenship is in heaven right now? So that we can live accordingly. That we can live as if we know we're on our way to heaven and we're just passing through. I don't believe the saying that we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. When I, when I mean heavenly minded, I mean biblically minded. And so, yes, he wants us to go to work. He wants us to, to take care of our families and all those practical things. So, but... But having that eternal perspective to know at any moment I could die, and more importantly, any moment of those that are around me that don't know Christ could die, that they're one heartbeat away from being separated from God for all eternity with no second chance, that's supposed to shake us and, and have a sobering effect on our lives so that we take the Great Commission seriously. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 tells us, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So we're directly commanded to set our mind on things above, on heavenly things. But God lets us know what's coming by revealing all of this to us. And it has a purpose. He has a purpose in all of it. You know, some Christians act as if dying is the worst thing that ever happened to them. You ever talk to a Christian and they're, they're, they're talking about someone that had died and they're feeling sorry for them and that person knew the Lord? It's like, are you kidding me? They're so much better off than us. We need to celebrate. Yes, we're sad for their family. We're sad for the loss of not having that person around, of course. But don't feel sorry for them. Paul, the apostle, said, I don't know what would be better, to go on to be with Christ or to take care of these churches and all the needs of these churches that are on my heart daily, every single day. It's a great thing to be able to go to heaven. We should celebrate when someone goes to heaven. And God wants us knowing what's coming. He wants us to know what to expect. People say, I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. He is, how much, I mean, he gives us the dimensions, the, how long everything is, the, the, I mean, the everything, what it's made, I mean, how much specificity can he give us? I mean, he's given us so much specifics there. So let's look at it. Verse 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying come I will show you the bride the lamb's wife so one of those seven angels that had the seven bowls we went through those bowl judgments so John recognizes this angel I've seen him before he's the one that poured out the you know the bowl one of the bowl judgments there and so he says that angel came and 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 talked with me notice he says he talked with me his conversation here not at me there's a difference between talking at someone and talking with someone um, spouses need to learn that in marriage you know there's a there's a difference talking to somebody is different than talking at them and he says come i will show you the bride the lamb's wife now he refers to the city as a she 
So he's talking about the city, but it's not. It's in the sense that the Lamb's wife, us, is going to live there. It's so associated with us because that's where we're going to be that he, he refers to this as a she, in a sense. So we're, we're the Lamb's wife at this point. We've already seen that as we've gone through the book of Revelation. We've seen where he changed from us being his bride to his wife. We noted that time in the book of Revelation. So he wants to show this bride, this city, and so this beautiful city. Now, the, the fact that the city is beautiful is not completely, uh, it's not completely because of, of the physical things that we're going to read about. To God, it's beautiful because we're there, because we're his, his, his wife, and he loves us, and it represents us, and that's why it's beautiful in so many ways. So this angel says, come, I will show you the bride. In verse 10, it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Now, holy means set apart. So this city has been set apart. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Now, there's been a lot of ungodly things that have been done in the earthly Jerusalem. In fact, the biggest crime of, of any of all mankind was committed there of, of crucifying the Son of God. Although he didn't, no man took his life, he laid it down. So this holy Jerusalem descends out of heaven. Notice from God, this city is coming from God here. Now, it is heaven in the sense where, it's, where we are going to dwell at least part of the time. There's going to be a new earth that's going to be made. We, we could be, I mean, we're not going to be limited to locality. So we could just beam ourselves, we're on the earth and we're in the new Jerusalem. But some people say, well, we don't know if this new Jerusalem is heaven of heaven or it's just the new Jerusalem and then there's also heaven. Did I confuse you enough? Because I can confuse myself there. But it notice it says that this city is descending out of heaven from God. This isn't heaven where the Father dwells right now. It's coming down out of heaven, but it's still heaven in the sense of where we're going to live. So we don't know where the descending ends. Some people say it descends all the way down to the earth. Now, I've seen pictures of the, if the earth is like this big, it would stick out like this far. You know, that's how big this is with the dimension. So we know there's going to be a new earth. So if it does rest on the earth, which it very well could, then the earth's going to have to be quite a bit bigger to be able to have it not uh, cause problems for the earth with it sitting on the surface of the earth. Some people believe it's descending and it stops and it's kind of hanging there in between uh, outer space or the new space or whatever it is and, and the new earth. And it's just kind of hanging there in between. We, we're not told specifically there. But notice it says, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, jasper stone today, I'm not a gemologist, but I have looked into this a little bit. Jasper stone today is, 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 is milky or opaque, uh, but this is crystal clear. So a lot of people think that this is like a diamond. It, it looks like a diamond to John, and John doesn't have any other frame of reference, so he's, he's trying to describe it this way. Because he says it's it's clear as crystal. Now you know what he knew what crystal was, so it's clear. Whatever this jasper stone is, it is 
clear. So that's important for us to see. We're going to see that as we get into um, what it's made of. Verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So there was a great and high wall. And it's t- this wall is probably all connected. So there's not four separate walls joined together. It's all one wall, but it's shaped you know, like a square. Because this is, as we'll see, this is going to be a cube that we see here. So it has 12 gates. So there's three gates on each side. Likely they're equal, they were spaced equally apart. So you have three gates on each side of the cube uh, there. And, um, the, the, and then the, there's names written on, on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And this is important because we're going to see that the foundation on the foundations, there's written the, apostles, the names of the apostles of the Lamb. And it just shows that God is validating the whole entire Bible, the whole entire Old and New Covenants all together. Some people erroneously teach that God has basically cast Israel aside today and he's not going to deal with Israel anymore, and that's false. We don't believe that the church has replaced Israel. And every time we see Israel in the Bible now, we need to put the church in there. There's two, I mean, God's ministry to Israel in, really picks up in earnest in the seven-year tribulation. He really focuses on ministering to, to Israel there. But he hasn't forgotten Israel. And even in here with the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, God hasn't forgotten Israel. The 12 tribes there, the 12 sons of Jacob there are listed. Um, and it's beautiful. And there's 12 angels at the gates. What are they doing? Are they like ushers and this way, sir, through this gate? Or are they, you know, hey, where's the, where's the Apostle Paul? Angel, where's he at? Where's his mansion? I want to you know someone has done the math with this with the square footage because people love to do this stuff. <laughs> but they basically estimated if there were, I think it's a hundred billion people that have ever lived. They estimated that probably twenty billion were became Christians and so forth. And with all of the calculations here, they figured that each person's property or their allotted area where their house or whatever they have is is going to be seventy five acres. And that's only using 25% of the square footage inside that big cube. With 75% left of, to, for all these other things. So there's going to be plenty of space for us. You don't have to worry about having space in this thing. You're like, I don't want to be confined to a cube. Well, we're going to get to the dimensions in a second. <laughs> that's funny. Verse 13. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So there's still north, east, west, and south. Remember I said when he said that I make all things new, he used a Greek word that didn't say I make all things brand new in the sense of they've never been around before at all. There's no reference at all to, to, to what I'm doing. These, it's new in the sense that it's a, a new creation, but it's based on things that, that we have familiarity with. There's, and there's a, there's a multitude of different things that have, are related somewhat to our dimension, so to speak. I believe it will be another dimension, but I believe it has some uh, uh, um, relevance or, or it's like a lot of things that we experience. So again, there's going to be three gates on each side. Verse 14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, there are at least two ways you can imagine these foundations. I, I started out, I've always imagined it where there's one foundation that goes the whole length of 
the wall, um, and you know, on, and on, on every side, the foundation, and then underneath, and there's levels of foundations all the way down to 12. But someone else had an idea that it could be that there's one foundation that goes from the corner to the to the, the middle of the first gate, and then another foundation that goes from the middle of that first, where that one left off, to the middle of the, the third gate, and then the last one that goes all the way to the, the edge. So there'd be three, like foundation, 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 and then on this side, foundation, foundation, foundation. Oh, I thought, that's, that's interesting. You know, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's going to be beautiful. I know that. Um, so... He says that these 12 foundations on them were written the names of the 12 apostles. And people say, well, is it they're going to be Matthias or Paul? You know, I mean, did they make a mistake when they chose Matthias and all this stuff? I'm like, I don't care. God knows he can put on there whoever he wants to put on there. So I don't care. There's going to be 12 apostles of the lamb that are on there. I don't care who it is. I know I'm not going to be one of them. <laughs> you know, So they can put anyone that he wants up there. So. But one thing I do want to mention related to these names is that they're sinners that are on those foundations. Those apostles were sinners that were redeemed, that were saved. And it just speaks of how God redeems a life. And he's putting their names on there. And you know, I, I just, how godly Jesus is and how we see of him and the humility there and so forth. And how that when we're walking in the spirit, we get to see glimpses of that in ourselves. Uh, we'll be totally godly, completely. We will not have any sinful nature. And, and I'm sure that those apostles would be the first to say, the only reason my name is on there is because of the grace of God. That's the only reason. Because they're sinners. Just like Jesus allowed sinners to be in his lineage. If you go through Matthew and Luke and you see all those people, there are harlots in his lineage. God didn't have to allow that. But he allowed that to show that, that I came to save sinners. And I'm going to be closely associated with them. I'm going to save them. And I'm going to redeem them by my grace. And I'm going to, I'm going to do amazing things with them. And I'm going to put their names on the foundations. Even the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, all of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel had issues. All the apostles had issues. All through the Bible we see people having issues and issues after issues and the children of Israel would, would serve God and then they would get into idolatry again and then God would judge them and then they would repent and God would take them back. It's a cycle over and over again. It's a complete picture of the Christian life because that's how we are. We, re- we fall short. We repent. All of those things. We get back up. All of those things. And, and God just, it's just a beautiful picture of God's grace, that their names are on there. Remember, these are the ones that are fighting against each other. Who's the greatest? These are the ones that are saying, in fact, John was one of them. When the Samaritans wouldn't let them come or wouldn't let them have, uh, wouldn't have, let them have, uh, um, you know, um, hotel reservation, whatever it is, you know, accommodations, they wouldn't help them. He said, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven? <laughs> this is the apostle John who's writing. This is the apostle of love here. He wants to call fire down from heaven and make them crispy critters there right in front of everybody. You know, that's just how God can transform a life. He transformed John's life where he would eventually be called the, the apostle of, of love. And, you know, one thing I do notice is that he doesn't say, hey, there's my name right there. Because he he's one of the 12 apostles. I know John is one of the 12 apostles. He doesn't say, see that? See that name there? That's John. Did you see? Don't miss that. You know, I'm, I'm there. I'm facing the north. No one else. There's only two other apostles that are facing the north. And so we're there facing the north. If they, he liked north better than the other directions, I don't know. 
But I just know if it were me, I'd be like, hey, spotlight's on that right there, that my name's on that foundation um, stone. Verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Now, why does he measure this city? Does the, does the angel need to know for himself? No, he needs to know. He wants John to know. Because he, the reason why God wants John to know is because God wants us to know. And why does God want us to know? He wants us to know how great he is. He wants us to be able to be living in expectation of how great this city is, how big it is, that there's plenty of space for everybody and so forth. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 16. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, height, and are, are equal. Oh, furlongs, that, that clears it up. Appreciate that. What's, how long is a furlong? I mean, so first of all, New Jerusalem is a cube. Now, you Trekkies, don't think of the Borg, okay? Now, if I, some of you, I might, now you're going to have to struggle now because I meant, you would never even have thought of that until, but it's, it's a cube. And so, you know, you can not think of the Borg. You're, some of you are like, what is that? I don't want to even know what the Borg is. I'm not a Trekkie. That's okay. You're not missing all that much. Uh, now, 12,000 furlongs is roughly 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. So it's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall. That is so huge. And I'll give you some perspective. It's 1,500 miles from Maine to Florida. That's how, that's how far 1,500 miles is. Or from California to Colorado. Now, when you think of height, the distance from the earth to space is 65 miles. That's how far up it is into space. 65 miles. So the, this is basically the size of the moon. That's how big the New Jerusalem is. It's roughly that size. Now think of how long it will be in between the gates. Because I believe this will be symmetrical. It's kind of laid out neatly. And he could have all the gates close together. It kind of doesn't make all that much sense if he does that. I think they'll be spread out equally or whatever, probably. But if he does that, I mean, just think about from the edge to the center of the first gate and, and to the center of the last gate and then to the edge and all of that there's gonna be if it's 1500 miles wide there's 500 miles that are that's that's a long ways that's from sacramento to san diego just think all the distance of that like wow how are we gonna move we better be able to move around pretty quick you know i mean just or just appear there i don't know how how god will make our bodies i know that jesus was not limited to space he could go through walls he was in um um emmaus and then he was all, all of a sudden in Jerusalem. It didn't take him all day, all the hours of walking subsequent to his resurrection there. So that's huge. 1,500 miles wide and, and the width and, the, and tall and so forth. Incredible. Then verse 17, we're told this. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. 144 furlongs is about 216 feet. Those walls are going to be like 216 feet thick. You know how you know how long a football field is? A football field is 300 feet. So it's almost as long as a football field. That's how 
thick these walls are going to be. Now, we don't need those walls for protection. That's what those walls were back in that day of a city. The walls around a city were for protection. We won't need protection from anything. There won't be any enemies at all. But somehow that fits into how it's supposed to look, and it's, it's going to bless us to have those kind of walls and so forth, and it's going to be beautiful and everything. But, man, I can't even imagine walls that thick. Now let's talk about some other things. Verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper. Wow, that's, that's a lot of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. So it's pure gold. Pure gold. It's, it's so pure, it's clear. And, and, and it's, it's beautiful. Just I mean, that's heaven's stucco. <laughs> it's pure gold. It's beautiful, just to think of that. And then he says, the, 19, the foundations, in verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. We went over that. It's clear. The second, sapphire. Now, sapphire is a beautiful blue. So they're talking about all these different colors that we're going to see here, with all these different stones on these foundations and so forth. Beautiful, beautiful blue. The third, chalcedony, which is a greenish blue with stripes of other colors in it. Okay, so there's variety of color within that uh, stone. The fourth, emerald, which is green. That's a, it's a, well, an, an emerald green. It's green. It's not dark green. It's bright, kind of a bright green. Verse 20, the fifth sardonyx, which is red and white. Imagine that. Now, these are up against each other, at least lengthways, if he does it the around way. But if he does the 12 stones, they're all, you know, layers and layers and layers and layers underneath the wall there of these different colors. So red and white for sardonyx. The sixth, sardius, and that's a deep ruby red, sometimes amber or golden color hues are in that stone. The seventh, chrysolite, golden yellow color there, uh, different than modern uh, chrysolite, which is like a pale green. So this is the old version or the one that he would have known back then. The eighth, burl, which is a sea green, and I guess depends on the sea uh, in terms of how green, but it's a sea green. Now, we've already, we're already told that there's no more sea. And I forgot to mention that the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos receiving this revelation completely surrounded by the sea, which had been pretty amazing for him to think about that all of the sea is going to be gone in the new heaven and the new earth. But this color and this foundation will be a sea green. The ninth, topaz, which this one is a yellowish green. And then the tenth, chrysophrase, which is another color green. So there's going to be lots of greens uh, in the foundation stones there. And then the 11th, jacinth, which is a violet, kind of a light violet. And then amethyst is purple. And so can you imagine the colors? One gemologist read all of these, and he knew about ancient stones and what John was working off of related to his knowledge. And he said that your eye, all these colors put together, your eye, your current, how your eye is now, could not process all of those colors. And I think it's true that we couldn't, our eyes were made are the full the fulfillment of what our eyes are truly made of with our new bodies because remember he's adding to what we already have he's adding to our knowledge he's adding to our experiences and all of that the lord jesus his body was a physical body um he said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see i have okay so he has flesh and bone these new bodies have flesh and bone 
Uh, they don't have blood, though, so they're spirit-driven instead of blood-driven or whatever. Um, and he ate with them. He took some honeycomb and so forth, so we'll be able to eat. I don't know how we digest it and get rid of things or not or what. I don't, I don't want to get into all that, but I know he ate. So maybe it just dissolves into nothing as soon as we eat it. And there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't think that's just poetic. I think that's a real supper. I think that's a real celebration dinner that we get to enjoy. By the way, don't let anyone tell you that all of this is, is symbolic and this isn't really a real city and all of this means all this stuff. You can turn this into anything that you want. But he's giving measurements of things. He's giving you specifics. He's giving you colors. He's giving you, he's describing a real city. And when people start to allegorize all of these things and make them into, you know, meaning different spiritual things, it just, they can make it be whatever they want. It's not responsible. But I believe that when we get our new bodies and we have our new eyes and we can see this, our eyes will be able to handle this type of color. And I believe there could, the spectrum could be completely different. It likely is probably so many more times more in terms of variance than what it is now. There's, there's, there's just the idea of color will be completely different for us at that time. It'll just be an, uh, absolutely amazing. I believe our ears were made for so much more. I believe the sounds. The Apostle Paul said, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven, and most believe it was the Apostle Paul that was speaking. Because the first heaven is the sky, the second heaven is space, the third heaven is heaven of heavens. So he said, I, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I heard inexpressible things that wouldn't be lawful to utter. He goes, I can't even try to explain it. If I tried to explain what I heard in heaven, it would be unlawful, it would be horrible, it would be a crime. Now, just think about what he could have seen. Now, I have a personal theory that it's possible the Lord didn't let him see anything when he went to heaven. That he, that he couldn't see, but he could hear. And so God was giving him a taste of heaven just by the things that he heard, but didn't allow him to see anything. That's just a theory. He could have let him see. But to me, it's like that would be one of the things that he would describe as what he saw there. And so the Apostle Paul, he says, the things I heard wouldn't even be lawful to utter. But think of the smells. Think of the things we won't smell in heaven. So much of what we smell that stinks and so forth has to do with things that it won't be there bacteria and things rotting and and breaking down all of that won't be the case so we'll have beautiful beautiful smells it's, i just it's hard to imagine it's hard to picture what it could be like but he wants us to expect something wonderful he gives us so much detail for us to be able to just ask him even more questions when we get there to say what you you mentioned all of these things, but now what does this mean? What does that mean? What is, you know? And it, you know why did you do twelve? Why or how did why did you do it this way? Why three gates? Why not fifty gates? There's enough room for it. Why not one gate? You know why does it why does it be a cube? Why couldn't we go in a sphere? Why I mean there's so many questions. He'll be be so patient to say you know this is what I was thinking. You know he just loves us just like you explain things to your kids. You love them. He doesn't owe us anything. But he wants to bless us. It's, it's beautiful. Verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street, notice it says it's street singular. And the street, because we say, you know, streets of gold. but And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So just as transparent glass is pure, this gold will be pure. So now think of the size of this oyster. <laughs> if you had to use one, man, wow. I mean, he doesn't need an oyster to produce a pearl. 
But in the ancients valued pearls because it was one stone that, or, you know, thing like a stone that wasn't man-made, that never was touched by human hands. And that's why, in the sense of when it was developed, and that's why it was so valuable. This is where we get the, the, the term pearly gates. Whenever you hear people, Apostle Peter is at the pearly gate, and he's interviewing people as they call these jokes that people are like, where do you get this stuff? You know, it's like, but that's where you get the pearly gates there. And I don't understand how a gate can be just a pearl. I, I don't understand that, but I know it'll be beautiful. I mean, just to think of the creativity here and the color. I mean, just to walk around and look at this thing, and you're just like, I can't believe I'm here, first of all. Number two, I can't believe his, his creativity. I mean, he spent just a few days creating everything that we see. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He's been preparing all of this for a long time. Can you imagine how amazing it will be? Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. There's no need for a temple because we'll be there face to face with them. They will be the temple. They will, they will be the, what we worship. We will be there with them to worship them. No need for a temple. You know, we don't, we're not going to be saying anything by faith in the sense of, we don't, we don't see, we don't you know, understand, but we're just saying it in faith. We will be in their presence and we will love them and worship them. And it had no sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God illuminated it. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain and his face was glowing? You remember when the Lord Jesus was transfigured and John was one of them that was there with Peter and James was there and, and he saw that glory and that wasn't the full glory because they, they would have been completely gone. Their bodies could not handle it. But he opened up who he really was a little bit there for them to see. He, the, the fact that he created physical light just represents and points to the fact that he is light. So he's going to illuminate everything. Just Now, will he, will he be so bright? Remember when the Apostle Paul's giving his testimony in the book of Acts, he says he saw a light that outshone the noonday sun, the Middle Eastern noonday sun, which is very, very bright. Jesus' glory there so i don't think he'll be so bright that that we can't look at him that it blinds us to be able to see him but somehow glory will come from him and illuminate everything it's beautiful verse 24 and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it so it's this is possible that on the new the new earth will have people there i mean believers and so forth and, and and people overseeing other people and so forth and they'll will go into the new jerusalem at times and so forth um or this is talking about people that had great responsibility and great wisdom from god on earth in this world that carry on and and give remember he's adding to everything so adding to their wisdom and theirs you know what they have learned from from god and so forth into that kingdom and bring their glory and honor into it and its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. Again, gates were used for protection. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church going forward cannot be defended against by, by Satan and his kingdom. 
Their defense mechanisms or gates cannot withstand the church going forward. There's nothing that can stop us. And so these gates are not going to be used to protect us from anything from without because there will be no threats. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. There's going to be diversity in the New Jerusalem. There's going to be diversity and things that we appreciate of how God made certain people a certain way and how they did things. They're going to add that. He's going to add that to the New Jerusalem. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing to see because it's all going to reflect how creative he is. The fact that he has people that are diverse shows us how creative he is and how wonderful he is and how, how, how um, artistic he is. We're, we are just pieces of art in this world. And as Christians, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that word workmanship there in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, says that we are his poem or his work of art, and it's beautiful. So that's going to be incredible just to see that manifested in the new Jerusalem verse 27 but there shall be no means but there shall by no means enter anything that defiles see that's a comfort to us or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life so again he's comforting us to know all the things that bring us pain and hurt and suffering and all those things every threat from without Satan won't be around. Demons won't be around. Sinful people won't be around. No one will be around to hurt us and and to cause harm that defiles or causes an abomination. Only beauty and only creativity and only things that that bless us will be allowed to to be there. And I I just can't wait. I'm looking forward to that day when we are there. And so that's what God's purpose is in revealing that to us, at least in part, for us to look forward to it, for us to have questions about it, for us to be able to say, I can't wait to get there and ask him about this. What's this going to be like? And then to help other people get there so that they can enjoy this, the people that, that don't know Christ that are in our lives. Who, who is it that doesn't know Christ? I mean, we talked about this and we went over the great white throne judgment, but God wants to continuously use us to preach the gospel to the lost that are around us. Because we want them there too. God wants them there too. He's willing that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Amen? So I can't wait. Looking forward to chapter 22. Read ahead. Let's pray.